What is up, everybody? Welcome into another episode of the Hangout in the Holy Land, the official podcast of LandGrandHolyLand.com. Make sure to visit the show, SoundCloud.com slash LandGrandHolyLand, and on Apple Podcasts by searching the Hangout in the Holy Land. My name is Colton Denning, and I am your host, coming to you on Sunday, November 19, 2017, and I am joined by my friend who was at the game last night, left early, missed the rain, and his name is Patrick Mayhorn. Patrick, you're a smart man. Yeah, ju- I, I avoided the rain by, I mean, just like a couple minutes as I was as I was walking out of the stadium, it started to rain, um, but I had a nice poncho, so it was all good, but... Um, yeah, th- this game was never really particularly close. There was no real reason to sit out in the rain. I respect the people who did, but um, I'm, I'm pretty happy with my, my choice overall. <laughs> so we're going to talk about Ohio State's 52-14 to win over Illinois yesterday. It was a game that coming in, not a lot of people thought would be very much of a contest. The spread was 41 points, and Ohio State didn't cover, but you know they. I would say that in spirit, they covered in this game. They probably could have scored 80 points if they really would have wanted to, even with that torrential downpour. So there's not really too many huge takeaways from this game, I don't think, but overall, it was another really nice performance after what we saw Ohio State do against Michigan State last week, where they just kind of destroyed them from the get-go and this was once again just right from the beginning Ohio State got the ball and they marched down the field in either eight or nine plays scored a four-yard touchdown with Mike Weber and basically by that point this game was over Illinois had no chance to do anything in this game yeah I I think that really the biggest and probably the only takeaway is that we continue to see Ohio State you know running the ball and giving the ball to Mike Weber giving the ball to J.K. Dobbins obviously Antonio Williams got significant playing time as well with you know how quickly this game got out of hand but we saw I mean there were 59 total rushing attempts in this game uh, 325 rushing yards Mike Weber had a really good game JK Dobbins had another good game um, and this kind of continues the trend that we saw against Michigan State and you know when this when this team has their best performances they do it running the ball and we, you know, it it was it was good to see that continued, and certainly the rain helped that. And it's pretty hard to pass when it's pouring like it was, unless you're Notre Dame and have convinced yourself that you can throw in a monsoon. But um, it, I think it was just it was good to see them to, you know, continue to stick to the ground game and continue to have success running the football even against a bad football team. Yeah, for the first time all season, Ohio State runs for 300 yards in back-to-back games. In fact, they're the only two games that they've run for over 300 yards in this season. Last week against Michigan State, they ran the ball 42 times for 335 yards, and then this week 59 times for 325 yards. And to your point, there's a commitment to the ground game. Mike Weber is looking really good after we talked about it last week. We trashed him after that Iowa game. He looks great. He has a really nice burst. He's breaking tackles. When he's getting to the second level, he's he's not letting safeties catch him or anybody for that matter, catch him from behind. And this is the best he's looked in his career. And something that uh, Matt Brown brought up on Twitter, one of our land grant colleagues that I, I thought nobody's really talked about. We'll get into senior day and some of the other players that may have played their last game in Ohio Stadium, but I low-key think that that might have been Mike Weber's last game in Ohio Stadium. People forget that he's a redshirt sophomore, so that's something to 
be on the lookout for if Weber looks good uh, heading into the Michigan game, Big Ten title game, and wherever else Ohio State goes in the postseason. But the running game as a whole, the offensive line continues to dominate. I think this is the best they've looked in a really long time. Billy Price is just mauling people at that center position. Demetrius Knox and the rest of the offensive line playing well. So uh, can't say enough good things about the ground game and it all stems back to the coaches and their commitment to keeping the ball on the ground. So don't don't really know how you can find any fault with what Ohio State is doing offensively, especially on the ground right now. Yeah, and as as you touched on, Mike Weber may have played his last you know home game as a Buckeye. Um, I think that if I was in Mike Weber's shoes, I think I would go pro. I, I would see no reason for him not at this point. I think that he's a uh, he'd be a lock to get drafted probably second third round he's he's never really going to be a first round guy but he's consistently good he has been for the last two seasons um he's been showing burst he's looked really really good the last couple of weeks and with jk dobbins on the team there's no real reason for him to come back and try to win a position battle when he could go get that money and i i think that you know i i, I don't see why he would need to come back and obviously it would be great for Buckeye fans and great for Ohio State if he does, but I, I think that Mike Weber has deserved that that shot. Speaking of guys that looked really good yesterday, Paris Campbell may have looked the best of anybody on offense. He had three catches for 59 yards, also had one carry for 44 yards, and did most of his damage early, but um, I, I don't think it's you can quantify enough secretly how much he means to this offense from that H-back position. He doesn't do as much as Curtis Samuel did or some of the other H-backs that Urban Myers had in his career, but he's just a really solid, good player. He's better than a gadget guy, I think. He's not just your typical, even a guy like Dontre Wilson was where it was a smaller guy. He can do a lot of things, and he reminds me of Philly Brown in that sense, and I think that having him back healthy and uh, as a main threat in this offense really does wonders because he looked fantastic yesterday. Yeah, he had um, a really nice 44-yard run on a reverse that really didn't look like it was going to work, and he, he made it work. He had some had some big plays in general not a ton of touches but um it, it really yesterday's performance and how he's played all season kind of it kind of hit me that you know he was out for the Iowa game and obviously that wasn't the deciding factor but when you know when a team loses and when Ohio State loses it's always fair to you know look for blame and Paris Campbell being out for that game certainly did not help the offense and you know, Iowa, I think, would have won that game, Paris Campbell, you know, if Paris Campbell had played or if he had not played. But that that injury hurt Ohio State, I think, way more than we thought that it would at the time. Yeah, I completely agree. And that's something that I, I don't think any of us would have expected coming into the season that, yeah, he's been a nice piece for them. But it's hard to go back and imagine that he really would be what he's ended up being for this team this season. Uh, other stuff on offense, and we, we got to talk about this. JT Barrett plays his final home game at Ohio Stadium. He had, I don't think a pedestrian day is, is the right word for it because he really wasn't asked to do much. Completed 11 of 19 passes for 141 yards with a long of 38 and threw three or two touchdown passes, including the 100th touchdown pass of his career to Benjamin Victor. Kind of a vanilla day for the passing game. They, they didn't really break out too many things other than that uh, that throwback play, which scored a touchdown to Marcus Ball later in the game. But um, just a solid day for JT Barrett and, and a nice feather in his cap to end his 
Ohio Stadium career, I think. Yeah, it was it was really nice to to see, you know, JT Barrett have a, a pretty good day on his his final, you know, home game, his final game in the shoe. Um, and it was really nice to hear the the very positive crowd reaction to him coming out and you know all that when they when they announced him and all that stuff that was that was nice and I think that he deserves all the recognition in the world because he's he's been so good for this program and he's just he's a fantastic quarterback and yeah not a not a great day yesterday not really too much going on it's kind of hard to to expect much when it's you know pouring rain and you're playing a team that's obviously not really worth trying against for the last three quarters um the but i mean one thing with barrett that i thought was a little interesting was when you know urban meyer put him back in the game after the Dwayne haskins fumble and um not not really sure why <laughs> ohio state put the starters back in the game after that because it was still like 38 to 7 but um it I think we we could probably talk about that a little bit. Maybe that the backup quarterbacks are not as as ready as some people might have thought, and maybe the you know the coaching staff is not as confident in the backups as as some may want them to be, and that might have been what led to the starters being inserted back into the game. And that was just something that I kind of thought was a little surprising and a little interesting. My guess for that would have been that if on that Haskins fumble, if Illinois would have just jumped on the ball, they probably wouldn't have scored and it would have been, it would have stayed 38 to nothing. And they probably would have brought out Haskins in the second team offense again. But the fact that they returned it for a touchdown, I think that not that Urban Meyer was already looking ahead to Michigan week, but he was probably very on edge already thinking about that game and thinking about the week ahead. And I think that his tolerance for bullshit at that point (laughs) in the game was probably really low. And they just said, you know what? Screw it. Put the starters back in, score a touchdown, get this over with. And then we'll, we'll throw the second team guys back out there. And maybe it was like second team offense shaming, but um, (laughs) there were, there were people that that were really upset about it. And I get that. And there, there was real, really no reason to risk Barrett or any of the offensive line or, or JK Dobbins getting hurt. But I also think that there's a point of like, Hey, like, come on guys. Like I understand we're going to win this game. We got Michigan next week, but that's the point. We have Michigan next week. Let's get our shit together and finish this out strong. So I don't really mind that they did that, but I did think it was a little bit curious. But as you're saying about the the second team quarterbacks, and we saw Joe Burrow have a fumble as well, I think all of us need to slow our roll on Dwayne Haskins and Joe Burrow, depending on which camp you're in, or if you like both guys, that um, if those guys played against first team defenses if they played against Michigan next week or Wisconsin or any strong defense after that I really think Ohio State would be in a bad position right now yeah and I mean those guys still have learning to do they're still very very young and that's that's understandable Dwayne Haskins can't run the read option at all and that's something he's probably going to have to learn how to do Joe Burrow didn't complete a pass um, and obviously it was pouring rain and he didn't have a ton of chances but those those guys still have development to do. There's still plenty of coaching. There's more reps that they'll be getting next season and in the off season and all that stuff. And it's just, I mean, there were people calling for JT Barrett to be, you know, replaced by Dwayne Haskins early in the season. And it's it's hard to imagine that Ohio State would have won more than like seven games if that had happened. Because, I mean, I don't think that either of the backup quarterbacks wins the Penn State game or, 
you know, wins the Iowa game or, or any of that stuff. And that's not a, a knock on them. That's just they're young. And J.T. Barrett's a really good quarterback. And, you know, I, I think that it's always – there's always kind of a – a grass is always greener kind of thing in college football and there's always going to be you know well the backup might be better than the starter and, and things like that and um it's not in this case and I, I think that we've seen that time and time again and i'm glad that for the most part it seems like the general sentiment is that jt barrett is the unquestioned starter and leader of this team and that was not how it was at the beginning of the season on the subject of bad quarterback play let's talk about illinois offense oh. illinois <laughs> for most of this game they were held under like 60 yards. They were at 50 yards for, I think, heading into the fourth quarter. They finished with 105 yards on 42 plays. That is two and a half yards per play for the game. And folks, if you want to stand up and just jump forward in your living room or wherever you are at, you moved for more yards than Illinois did on a per-play basis yesterday. They held Chase Crouch to 4 of 14 passing for 16 yards. I think that's the second time this season Ohio State's held an opponent to 16 yards passing. They also had a couple of sacks. Um, I, I don't really know if there's any major things to take away from the defense because Illinois' offense is so bad, but just right from the jump. They totally blitzed them. The the defensive line, I, I think, did did a really nice job of, of taking care of Illinois' offensive line and just making it impossible for them to do anything. Ohio State didn't have to blitz a lot. They didn't really have to get creative with any of their schemes. It was just more of what we've seen from basically every game except for the Iowa game where the defensive line kind of just pinned their ears back and dominated the game. Yeah, I, I mean, have you ever played like the NCAA football video games on freshman mode? That that was what Ohio State's defense. That's what it felt yeah. like, yeah. It was just Illinois couldn't complete passes. They couldn't really run. Dre Brown had an okay game, 76 yards on 15 carries. But um, Chase Crouch couldn't he couldn't get anything going and this is an Illinois team that's very young they have a lot of injuries and you know it's it's been a rough season for them and this was not a game that I think anyone was really expecting there to be even competitive in but just a, I mean <laughs> really really bad offensive showing and not surprising but still kind of disappointing for a program that you know obviously expects more than 105 total yards and uh, I think that I think that Illinois will improve and they will get better and I think Lovey Smith is a good coach and they'll figure it out but this is this was a rough game to watch. <laughs> Something that really surprised me and we talked about last week Matt and I talked about I wrote about on the site was Tough Borland and him needing to get those reps at middle linebacker and in in the past we've seen this staff no matter if the evidence is right there on the wall in front of them, especially on defense, kind of stick with guys who have seniority. And I was a little bit shocked that on senior day, Tough Borland got the start at middle linebacker. Chris Worley played outside. Jerome Baker played outside. And sure enough, I think that was just another game to add to the list of this defense is much better when Tough Borland is at middle linebacker. And I know that people have concerns about him in coverage, but you know when Chris Worley was playing middle linebacker against Iowa and other guys were playing middle linebacker, the, their coverage wasn't great either. So I think that if that's the biggest weakness is him in coverage against Michigan, against Wisconsin, that's not going to be too big of a deal. And I think this defense is clearly at its best when he's in the middle and it lets Chris Worley be at his best as well yeah I, I think that this was kind of obviously what the best possible group 
is at linebacker. We, we saw Jerome Baker play. We saw Tough Borland. We saw Chris Worley. Um, and I, I think that that's the best group of three, obviously. Malik Harrison can, can shuffle in. Dante Booker can shuffle in when he's healthy. I'm not entirely sure what's going on with him, but he was out again yesterday. But um, I, I think that when they have a true little linebacker and a guy like Tough Borland, this defense is at its best and the linebackers can, you know, we can get more athleticism on the outside and Jerome Baker and Chris Worley are better served on the outside and they can, you know, they can get to the quarterback. They can, they can play what their game is supposed to be. And I, I think that Ohio State has kind of finally picked up on that and realize that you can't just put athletes at all three linebacker positions and expect to to still have success you have to have someone who can legitimately play middle linebacker which is what tough Borland is and he had another good game and the defense as a whole had a had a really good game um one thing that kind of surprised me was Eric Smith got the start over Jordan Fuller. Yeah. And I'm not sure if that was injury-related. I saw that Jordan Fuller was was dressed, but I didn't see anything else about it. Um, kind of kind of surprising has been Jordan Fuller for most of the year, but Eric Smith had a good game, six total tackles. Um, he had a pass breakup. He, he didn't play the full game, obviously. None of the starters did, but it was a good performance from him. Yeah, that's something to, to watch for as we head into next week against Michigan because Eric Smith had a tough game against Oklahoma, but then those two games after that, he played really, really well, and then whatever happened to him off the field, I would assume it was off the field, that Urban Meyer kind of put him in the doghouse, and we hadn't seen him for a long time until uh, last week when the game was kind of out of hand against Michigan State, but he played really well again, and as good as Jordan Fuller is – against the run, I think it's obvious that Eric Smith is a little bit more rangy at that free safety position. Also, no Damon Arnett yesterday. Michael Hill got the start at nose guard, so there were some interesting things happening on defense yesterday. <laughs> yeah, it was it was kind of a it was like a, you know, let's try and see exactly what we have at this point of the season kind of game it felt like and, you know, while the SEC and ACC were playing their favorite FCS schools and that sparked some some fun talk on Twitter. I'm sure you saw some of that, but um, Ohio State was playing the Big Ten's equivalent of an FCS team and um, decided to try out some new things. And I, I have no issue with that. That was something we called for after the Iowa losses. You know, trying out some young guys, letting some some guys play. I saw Baron Browning got in the game. Jeffrey Okuda, um, plenty of young players. Isaiah Pryor. Um, it was it was good to see, and I, I have no issue with that. And obviously. You know, some some depth chart changes, some lineup changes are always kind of risky, especially this late in the season. And, you know, it's fair to kind of be a little bit concerned about things like that. And when there's still questions about the depth chart without really any major injuries this late in the season. But, I, yeah, I have no issue with with experimenting with what you have at this point. Do you think there's any uh, a tangible takeaways from what we've seen from the defense the last two weeks because obviously holding Michigan State to under three yards per play last week is more impressive than what they did to Illinois but no matter who you're playing I think when you hold a team to just like 105 yards that's impressive especially a conference opponent so do you think heading into the Michigan game against an offense that hasn't looked great by any means and it looks like Brandon Peters may or, or may not play it's really early to speculate on that but seems like he got knocked up pretty good in that game against Wisconsin and, and if John O'Corn plays for Michigan you know I, I don't really know how explosive that <laughs> offense 
can be. But do you think that the defense has turned a corner after how bad they played against Iowa? I'm not sure if I would say that they've turned a corner because I'm not entirely sure that Michigan State or Illinois is any good. I know Illinois isn't any good, but Michigan State, I, I'm really not all that convinced that their offense is much of anything. Brian Lewerke has been solid this year, but um, I mean, I don't think Ohio State will play another actual good offense until, you know, the bowl game and after after the Big Ten Championship, be that, you know, like a Fiesta Bowl or, you know, a, like a Peach Bowl or something like that, or if it's the playoff. I don't think Ohio State will play another competent offense until then. I don't think Wisconsin is particularly good offensively. I don't think Michigan's particularly good offensively. And it's really it's hard to say at this point if they will be ready for you know, another good offense. Like, you know, they struggled against Oklahoma. They struggled against Iowa. And the Iowa was kind of a, a perfect storm of, you know, poor game planning, poor defense, just almost like a, you know, a look-ahead game to, to Michigan or kind of a, a sleep game. And I'm not sure if we'll see that kind of lapse again, but it's it's really hard to say. And I really don't think we'll know until they play a team like Alabama or Clemson or you know, Miami, Oklahoma, again, any number of those top teams because Michigan and Wisconsin are both solid teams, but I don't think either of them are, are particularly good gauges for how good a defense is. Uh, one more thing that's just kind of under the radar, I guess a little bit of an oddity that we talked about Twitter, and I know that you want to get off your chest here, um, and, and something that I don't think anybody's really talked about, getting back to the offense, when it came down to being in garbage time and – Urban Meyer addressed this, I want to say, four or five weeks ago. It's been a long time. But we saw Antonio Williams get 19 carries and take basically every snap of garbage time at the running back position. And you and I were talking about Demario McCall. He's been gone since that Maryland game. Six weeks ago, we saw him rush for over 100 yards and a touchdown against Rutgers. And it looks like they're going to really push for him to, to get that red shirt. Yeah, I... <laughs> I get why you would want to to push for that red shirt, you know, and like that's that's fine. He's probably you know he's obviously not going to see a ton of significant playing time this season with J.K. Dobbins with Mike Weber, but he's played in three games this season. Um, obviously, you mentioned he had a really good game against Maryland. I just at this point I don't know why you don't push for, and I don't I don't know if they have already you know gotten a red shirt for Antonio Williams off the top of my head I don't know why you don't push for a red shirt for him because Demario McCall is better he's a significantly better running back at this point Antonio Williams averaged under four yards carry and I, I think that he will I, I think he'll be fine eventually and I, I think that he's still developing I think he's a good back he's he's getting there but Demario McCall is significantly better for this offense at this point when you need a backup running back I don't know why he wouldn't be the one that you go to and just for the sake of my, you know, like selfishly, I watching the games, I would much rather watch Demario McCall. Speak run. on it. Like, he's fun to run. Or he's fun to watch run. He's quick. He's you know, good at football. I don't, I don't know why. <laughs> I don't know why he's the one getting a red shirt at this point because I think he's, you know, the third best running back on this team. Well, and they better be really confident that he's going to be able to get that because he's he's listed as playing in four games this season. The cutoff is, what, either four or three, but at the very least, that's going to be a decision that the NCAA has to make. I, I don't think that that's 100% um, going to go through by, by any means, and that would be a real big disappointment if they tried that and they lost that year for him 
to and, and maybe you know he wouldn't have made a difference in a game that was really close he probably wouldn't have played in crunch time of games but just to not have that development in a season where literally every Ohio State win other than the Penn State game has been a blowout I think would be very disappointing so just something to watch for and that's something that I wanted uh Patrick to <laughs> let off his chest because I, I know that Demario McCall is your guy he's, he's my guy too and he should be everybody's guy because he's Demario McCall's awesome so hopefully he's able to get that medical red shirt if not then that's going to be a little bit of a bummer um do you have any more big general takeaways from this game the only other really um interesting thing i can i can think of to to bring up from this game is to get your thoughts on this senior class what they were able to do for ohio state and as of now we we still don't know where the season is going to end but what do you think their legacy is going to be at ohio state um, i mean i think that their legacy is going to be that of you know one of the best group of seniors ohio state has ever had and you know i, I think that we could say that a lot recently about you know the seniors that urban meyer has been churning out and the the way that the program has been performing recently but a lot of these guys were in the 2013 or the 2014 classes and i think that those are two of the best recruiting classes in the history of ohio state football um and i i think whenever that a whenever a senior group is led by someone as you know as much of a that is as much of a legend at this point as jt barrett is and is as as talented and, and you know as prolific as jt barrett is it's, it's really hard to to question that class and there's so many good contributors in this class taekwon lewis billy price um eric smith there's just there's guys all over this class and that's just to name a few and they've they've won more games than pretty much any other senior group i can't remember exactly what it was i think they were second all time um just uh, it's hard to question these guys and they they stayed for for a chance to try and to win a championship a lot of these guys didn't get to contribute on that 2014 team a ton jt barrett obviously a huge part of that 2014 team but couldn't play for the championship couldn't play in the big 10 championship um and he'll get the chance to play in the big 10 championship this year and hopefully he gets a chance to play for a national championship and I, I think that just for his legacy, for all those guys' legacy, I, I hope that they end this season with a bang and they end this season the right way because I mean, they've done a done, they've done a ton for this program. It's it's a really great group, and you know, congratulations to all those guys. Yeah, I think you hit the nail on the head. They're at 46 wins as a class right now from the dudes that played that were uh, freshmen in 2014 and and part of that national championship team. And there were contributors other than JT Barrett, Tyquan Lewis made a couple of plays in that season. Jalen Holmes was a contributor and there were a few other guys, but um, they're second all time to that 2012 class that finished with 50 wins. And conceivably this class could get to 50 if they do make the college football playoff and win the national championship. So you can hold that hope that they'll tie that. But I, I think that uh, you're completely correct that this is going to go down as one of the most lauded groups in Ohio State history. And we, we mentioned Mike Weber. There's going to be a lot of other guys that uh, join the, those seniors and head off to the NFL. I think that we've seen the last of Jerome Baker in Ohio Stadium, Denzel Ward as well. Sam Hubbard is for sure gone. So um, it, it's, it's amazing that Ohio State keeps having to replenish 
this talent that they have every single year and they continue to pump out double-digit win seasons. I'll, I'll assume that they're going to be able to win at least one more game this year, whether that's this week, the Big Ten title game, or whatever happens in the postseason. But, like, man, they've, they've lost, like, 20 dudes to the draft the last two years, and they're going to lose double-digit guys again, and they're going to have to reload again, and it's just ridiculous every single season. Yeah, it's it's extremely impressive, and it's it's really hard to question at this point you know, Ohio State's ability to turn out top talent. We're seeing guys like Michael Thomas and Marshawn Lattimore really light it up in the NFL, Joey Bosa, um, you know, guys who are, you know, they were great here. They're great at the next level. And there's there's guys on this team you mentioned, Denzel Ward, Sam Hubbard, you know, all these all these great younger players who will be, you know, heading to the next level. And I'm sure that they'll do great at the next level as well. And it's really just, it's a testament to how well Urban Meyer has been recruiting, you know, the, the development, the the production that that he's gotten in his time in Columbus and Ohio State's really operating on a high level even when they do lose to Iowa and do stupid things like that just the talent is you know unmatched by any program that isn't Alabama and it's sometimes it's easy to get kind of caught up and to to kind of forget that or to you not recognize that for how impressive it is, but Ohio State produces an obscene amount of talent every single season, and then the next season they they replace it and they're fine, and they'll be fine next year. You know, then you got guys like Jonathan Cooper, you got, you know, Nick Bosa, young talented players, Baron Browning, you know, all these guys who just continue coming in every single year, and you know, it's it's not quite a plug and play that's that's never really fair to say but these guys will you know continue to be talented this off this roster will continue to have talent no matter how many guys they lose and that's just extremely impressive Draymond Jones too and he may end up being one of the highest drafted players of any class for Ohio State that ends up heading to the NFL last thing here before we wrap it up it is now Michigan week how are you feeling about this this matchup? It, it's Sunday. It's early. We still don't know who's going to start at quarterback for Michigan. It, it appears that Ohio State got out of the Illinois game relatively injury-free. I haven't heard anything about Mike Weber when he uh, he exited the game. It looked like his arm, but seems like he's okay and, and they're relatively healthy. But uh, what are your early thoughts about this uh, this Michigan game as Ohio State goes on the road to play them? Um, well, we know Ohio State's going to be wearing those beautiful white uniforms. Um, we know they are beautiful. Yeah, those are wonderful. I love them. Um, and we know Michigan will likely be. I'm not entirely sure yet. I, I saw the I saw the injury, and I'm not entirely sure I would be able to play football a week after that for Brandon Peters, but he'll likely be out. Um, so it would be John O'Corn or Jim Harbaugh might just you know put on a jersey and play. <laughs> um, <laughs> they'll they'll do it like Jason White style, where he just stands in one place because he can't move. Um, but I really, after watching Michigan this season, after watching Ohio State play this season, I think Ohio State's going to crush them. <laughs> I don't, I mean, we've seen a lot of blowouts this season. I think it's going to be another blowout. I don't think Michigan's very good. I think Ohio State is really, really good. Um, I, I'm sure that there, you know, there's always the rivalry factor, and it, it feels like those games are usually close, and that's just that's part of what it is and it's part of what it makes it such an iconic rivalry but I really I think Ohio State's going to dominate that game I would love to see it I'm a little more guarded in my optimism given the history of recent history of of uh, the game other than the 2015 game which got out of hand the last time they were in Ann Arbor but uh, I think on paper definitely that they match up really well against them they, they should be able to have some 
success running the ball. I'm not comfortable if they have to throw the ball 30 times with how Michigan gets after the quarterback, especially with a guy like Rashawn Gary. But I think that Ohio State can do what they did last year and in 2015 and kind of just run straight at them and have success when they get to the second level of Michigan's linebackers and uh, and secondary. But really the key to the game for me is if they don't make any stupid mistakes on offense, if they don't turn the ball over, then I think that Michigan's offense is going to do that and they're going to be able to flip field position. But you can't give Michigan a reason to, to stick around in this game. That was something that Wisconsin did a few times yesterday where they made some bad plays and kept Michigan around. And when you go on the road there, I think that that's definitely something to look out for. But if they're able to avoid making those costly early turnovers, then I think that they should be able to win comfortably, I would say. Yeah, and something for sure to to watch out for is, you know, Michigan has a very talented kick and punt returner in Donovan Peoples-Jones, and Ohio State's kick and punt coverage has been, you know, better. Obviously, the punt coverage has been outstanding this season, but um, that's something to watch for, and we saw it hurt Ohio State against Penn State. We saw it hurt them against, you know, quite a few teams this season, and I think that you, you, you kind of hit the nail on the head. If Ohio State can avoid silly mistakes, can avoid penalties and, you know, things that we've seen them do for a lot of this season, we, we almost saw a tar- targeting penalty yesterday. We've seen it in what feels like every single game. Um, I think if they can avoid stuff like that, then they can they can beat Michigan. Obviously, they're a more talented team. I think overall they should win that game. But um, it'll certainly be interesting to watch because Michigan's very good at forcing mistakes and you know, kind of taking advantage of things like that. And I don't think that they're as good at it this year as they are usually and as, as they were last year. But it's still going to be kind of an interesting matchup. Michigan doesn't make a ton of mistakes. And it, I, I think that that's kind of the number one thing to look for. It should be a lot of fun as Michigan week always is. And we're going to have a ton of content for you guys. So be sure to visit the website at landgrantholyland.com. Also, if you're not following us already on Twitter, head on over to Twitter and give us a follow at landgrant33 and make sure to keep up with the podcast. We're going to have a couple of episodes dropping this week. So go to soundcloud.com slash landgrantholyland and subscribe on Apple Podcasts by searching The Hangout in the Holy Land. You can find all of our episodes there. You can also follow me on Twitter at dubsco. Patrick, where can they reach you? They can find me at Patrick underscore Mayhorns, about how it sounds. Um, I did not stay up last night for Pac-12 After Dark because I didn't really want to watch Washington, Utah, but I usually do. And if that's something that people are interested in, they can come find me and we can talk. Um, Whatever 5 and 6 Pac-12 team is trying to get bowl eligible next week. I haven't looked at the schedule. <laughs> Utah, I don't know if they're bowl eligible yet, but CU plays them and CU is 5-6, and six, so they need they need to get that one. Go Buffs. So they're, they're, they're the first one that I can think of. But make sure to holler at Patrick on Twitter and me on Twitter. Patrick and I are usually talking shit about Rod Gilmore, so if you want to <laughs> jump into that fun, we more than welcome you to jump in on us piling on Rod Gilmore. <laughs> I personally love Rod Gilmore. This is the official podcast of Rod Gilmore. <laughs> yeah, this is a Rod Gilmore if you're out there, please advertise with Land Grant Holy Land. <laughs> but that's going to wrap up today's show. We want to thank you guys for listening one more time. Go to soundcloud.com slash Land Grant Holy Land or subscribe to the podcast and subscribe to the podcast, I should say, by searching the Hangout in the Holy Land on Apple Podcasts. 
couple more episodes for you guys dropping later on this week, so stay tuned wherever you get your podcasts, and we hope that you guys are fired up for Michigan Week because I know that we are. But until next time, for Patrick Mayhorn, I'm Colton Denning. This has been the Hangout in the Holy Land, and go Bucks.